Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Did you know that in the War of 1812, a lot of the conflict occurred in Michigan? Today, I'm welcoming back a guest, Dennis Skupinski, with the Michigan's Military Heritage Museum in Jackson, Michigan. And we're going to discuss this history of the War of 1812 and some of the battles fought in Michigan, as well as how the outcome affected Southwest Michigan. So welcome, Dennis. Thank you for taking time to be back on the podcast today. Oh, it's good to be back, Michael, and I'm looking forward to it. The filling in everybody in Michigan about what we did during the War of 1812. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. So can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and the Michigan Military Heritage Museum? Yes. I say, my name is Dennis Skupinski. I was chairman of Michigan's World War I Centennial Commission, and I was working on the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II when COVID hit, so we didn't that never amounted to anything. But we've, I'm, now I'm treasurer at the uh, Military Museum located in Jackson, 311 North Wisner, and we're open Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 till 5. One of the projects we're working on coming up is the America 250, which is in 2026, it'll be the celebration of the 250th anniversary of the United States of America. I was around when they celebrated the 200th, so this mm-hmm. is going to be sort of interesting, you know, to do the 250. And then we're working on these are sort of long-range plans, but in 2029 is the 200th anniversary of the city of Jackson, and in 2035 or 2037 depends on when you consider Michigan became a state. We're going to be celebrating the bicentennial of Michigan too. The reason why I say that is when we went back to the Toledo War, the CO says 1835 is when the Constitution for Michigan was ratified, and we didn't get accepted until 1837, and that's a whole (laughs) different podcast. Right, right. So the War of 1812 has always seemed to be a little bit obscure for me when I look at it uh, and how it began and why it was even fought. Um, Can you explain some of the timeline of how the conflict actually came into being? Yes, we can. Um, After the end of the American Revolution, I mean, Fort Detroit wasn't left until 1795. And the war ended, the fighting ended in the 1780s. So, uh-huh. you know, the, there was a dispute over the boundaries and stuff. And then when in um, 1794, the French got rid of their monarchy because they liked the United States the way we had our independence and revolution. Right. So all of a sudden, Great Britain, France, and a number of coalition partners started fighting in Europe. France against, you know, different coalition partners. So basically a war started then. What happened was the United States, a new nation, before we used to be protected by the British Navy, but now all of a sudden we're independent, so we're not. So the Barbary pirates steal our boats. The French, they're at war with Britain, so if we're taking stuff, they think to Britain, they're going to board our boats. The British Mm -hmm. think we're taking stuff to France, they're going to board our boats. The British took sailors because some people deserted from the British Navy or Army, and they thought they should get them back, even though they might have become U.S. citizens or maybe not U.S. citizens, but they didn't want to be British anymore. And so there was a, this went on for a number of years and there was a number of skirmishes along the East Coast where British naval ships and American naval ships got into involved, you know, battles. 
And there was like one, the Little Belt, which was a smaller ship being, you know, beat up by a bigger American frigate. There's And there's a number of these battles that went on. And finally, in 1812, President Madison, along with some of the Warhawks, decided to have a to fight basically Great Britain. There was talk about also involving France in that because France, once again, was like, doing the same thing the British were. But the British at least compensated the Americans for their ships as they took them, where the French didn't. Hmm. But we decided that the British were the worst, and so they decided to fight the British because also we're, uh, there wasn't really much in the way of French colonies near North America, where Canada was like we thought ripe for the picking. That's all hmm. they we had to do was march up there, and they you know become part of the United States. As they found out, it wasn't that easy. But right, well. so that was basically the reason for the war. You know, the the war, the first Revolutionary War, really didn't end it the way it's supposed to. Nobody felt that it was, you know, a complete ending. So they still had some lingering issues, and that's what the War of eighteen twelve was. Basically, the Second War of Independence. Okay, so then it was, and a lot of it started because of conflicts regarding trade. Yes, involving France and and Britain. That's right because say France and Great Britain and various countries were at war, and the United States is trying to trade with Europe, and you wow. know you send ships over there, and somebody's going to get mad. <laughs> yeah, somebody gets mad. Yeah, <laughs> two dogs are going to fight. Uh, so there were battles fought here in Michigan. Uh, can you outline some of the timeline on those? And yeah, but. It looked like in the spring of 1812 that the United States was going to go to war. So they were looking for a commander for the Northwest Territorial Army. Uh-huh. And they came up with a, um, they made William Hall, who was a governor of Michigan in around 1805, they made him a brigadier general in charge of the army. And he came to, he went to Ohio around Sandusky around uh May of 1812 to start to take his army, which included Ohio militia people and some U.S. regulars, and started marching them towards Fort Detroit slowly because, first of all, they're inexperienced troops. Uh A lot of the stuff was left over from the Revolutionary War that wasn't in good condition, and so they had had to make repairs, and it was slow going. And then uh, in the middle of June on the 16th, well, actually, in the middle of June, on the, uh, June 18th, actually, the United States declared war in Great Britain. Huh. John Astor, who was in charge of, who owned the American Fur Company, had an outlet in uh, Sault Ste. Marie. So he sent a, one of his agents to warn him about the upcoming war and wanted to make sure that, you know, he didn't lose any of his fur and stuff. Well, this person happened to be a British person and of British descent. So on his way up to Sault Ste. Marie, he took the direct route. He stopped at Fort St. Joseph near the, near there, which is on the Canadian side, and let them, let them know that the United States declared war on Great Britain. And what they did was the British uh, up there got an army or a small group together and invaded uh, Mackinac Island. They came on from the north side down oh. against the, the opposite side of where the fort was facing. And in the morning, there was a, the United States didn't know, even know there was war because they sent the uh, declaration of war to the various army posts through the regular mail, which was real slow back then. Uh-huh. So this is a month after the war is declared. The fort doesn't know it's under, you know, at, at fort doesn't know it's at war. And so the lieutenant in charge of about 20 soldiers wakes up to see a cannon face, <laughs> face in his fort with a bunch <laughs> of 
Canadian militiamen in redcoats, you know, facing his soldiers. And he, he says, you know, he didn't, so he surrendered because he didn't even know they were at war. So that was the first blow that hit, you know, Michigan. And the first war, first blow that hit, uh, you know, the United States, the loss of Fort Michelin-Mackinac. And then mm -hmm. William Hall was got an, an urgent message from the president telling me he needed to rush to Detroit because they were worried about Detroit falling. So in order to get there faster, he sent on a, the ship uh, Cuyahoga his uh, personal diaries and letters and a bunch of other supplies that were, you know, slowing his uh, progress down because he's going down the southern shore of Lake Erie. Well, these were captured by the British who were basically controlling the lakes. Oh, no. And so they got a chance to read all of his diaries and letters and found out that his Achilles heel was he was really afraid of the Indians. So by the time he gets up to Fort Detroit in mid or early August, you know, he's up there and uh, Isaac Brock, who was on the other side of the river at Fort Malden with Tecumseh, decided they're going to uh, take over Fort Detroit. So they have came across the river and started bombarding on August 15th. And they one of the things Tecumseh did to um, create a ruse for the uh Indians was he had them running in circles, but there was a small gap in the woods where the Indians could run across and the, the people in the fort could see them. So it looked like there was about 5,000 Indians when there's only 200, but they oh, kept wow. running in circles. And so it looked like there was a larger Indian force. And when um, General Isaac Brock demanded William Hall surrender, William Hall first was, you know, he said, no, I, I don't want to surrender yet. And Isaac Brock sent back the message, well, if you don't surrender immediately, I won't be able to control my Native Americans, and who knows what will happen to your inhabitants. And so he started drinking heavily, you know, when it was mm -hmm. it's a really interesting story. And there's some really good to, uh, movies on YouTube all about it. And so basically, mm. he surrendered. <laughs> he was 60 years old. He was wow. past his prime. You know, it's and a number of his people, number of his colonels underneath him didn't want to surrender. They wanted him to fight because they actually had about 2,000 soldiers in the fort, and the British only had about 1,000. Oh, so it was all a ruse. Wow. Yes. So, so Michelin Mackinac falls, and then Detroit falls. Falls because the next month later, two months wow. of the war, and we've got two big, you know, defeats. Wow. And it's like, oh, this isn't going the way we figured it would. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, and that was a that was sort of the two big battles. And that one interesting thing about Fort Detroit was Fort Detroit was the only American city to surrender to a foreign power during time of war. So we've wow. got that distinction of you know having the only city that surrendered. <laughs> wow! And that was so, the biggest. And that was you know that was you know the the beginning of the war. And what didn't get off to a very good start. But the, the tide eventually changed a little bit, right? Because you had... Yeah, because they started going along the um, Niagara River. The United States shifted strategy to the Niagara River because they figured they could cross the river, invade Canada, and the Canadians would welcome them. Well, that oh. didn't happen. And and then they went on eventually to, uh, you know, the East Coast. That was in 1814. And in 18... So really nothing happened after the fall of Detroit mid-August mid until the next summer when Oliver Hazard Perry out of Pennsylvania finally built a fleet up to uh, sail against the British in Lake Erie. And on September 10th, 10th he beat the uh, Admiral Barger, Commodore Barclay uh, on Lake Erie. 
And that sort of changed the whole war in the Michigan area because by the British losing the Battle of Lake Erie, that meant they could no longer control the Great Lake, the lower Great Lakes, as with, as they call them, Lake Erie, uh-huh. Hira, and Michigan Superior. So that meant Fort Detroit, which was across the river, right. was being supported by from Canada. So they, the British decided to retreat across the river back to Canada. The Americans under William Henry Harris uh-huh. decided that they were going to, you know, attack this. And as you know, they followed the British up to the River Thames and eventually beat Tecumseh and William Proctor, Governor, excuse me, uh, Major General Proctor in mm-hmm. the Battle of the Thames. And okay. the only thing that happened in 1813 was they had the Battle of the River Raisin, which was the the biggest and bloodiest battle in, on the Michigan soil. Mm-hmm. And this is where, where they're trying to get up and take Michigan before captured Fort Detroit before the, um, while the British were still occupying it. And they had the Henry Harris, General Harrison had uh, divided his force in two. He was commanding one wing and General Winchester from Virginia was commanding the other wing. General Winchester didn't follow orders and decided that he was going to lead his inexperienced troops and uh, capture the fort early. And he ran into some uh, problems in around Monroe. The first day of the battle, they beat the British and the, Fr- and the Indians, and they fell back out of the bed. That was called the Battle of Frenchtown on January 18th, 1813. Okay. And then four days later, the British finally regrouped and decided to attack the uh, Frenchtown settlement where the Americans were resting. They okay. one thing, they were inexperienced troops. They didn't post any sentries. So when the British, the British were already formed up when, when the Americans woke up to uh, you know the sound of cannon, and they oh. tried rushing around, and basically it was a, 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 a basically turned into a defeat for the Americans. So the uh, British and the Indians won the battle. They captured about five hundred prisoners of war, and there was about a hundred Americans that were wounded. And as the British left, the the Indians decided, well, we're not going to take these people anywhere. And they decided to, you know, massacre them. They they scalped them, chopped them up with tomahawks, burned the houses that they were in. And that was about 100, uh, well, anywhere from the estimates from 40 to uh, 100 American soldiers. So it was about 500 American soldiers died during the Battle of the River Raisin. And most of those were from the state of Kentucky. And wow. that's why in Monroe, there's a monument to the state of Kentucky uh, for this number of soldiers that died. Because Michigan at the time only had 4,700 people in the population. Uh-huh. And so Kentucky was already a state by then, which meant they had at least right. 60,000. Wow. Yeah, this was still the Northwest Territory at that point. Yes. So yes. the and River Raisin is outside of the Monroe area, just placing yes, it on well, map? The River Raisin runs right through Monroe. Monroe, Okay. Yeah, so wow. you got the river in Frenchtown's right there too, just a little bit north of the River Raisin, and that was a mil- military road from uh, basically the east coast up along the shores of Lake Erie up to Fort Detroit, and wow. so that's where we went through there. Basically, I seventy five now. Incredible. So then, so not only was it the loss from the soldiers in the battle, but also the massacre that happened afterwards. Yeah. And that was one of the things because the British left, 
they went across the river to Fort Malden and the Indians stayed and the Indians didn't want these people. <laughs> and, yeah, crazy. I mean, it just, it, 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 that was one of the cries that came up, you know, the, remember the river raisin with the massacre of these, you know, wounded soldiers by the savages and the British, or the British that take part of it is basically all, you know, Native mm-hmm. Americans that did it, but it was, you know, still they were fighting for the British. So it was a big, yeah, you know, so kind of on the British, whether they did it or not. Right. Wow. So, and then, so how did what? That looks like the Americans are losing at this point. So, what happens next? I know that there are other parts of the country where battles right. happened. We had uh, up in New York, and yeah. you mentioned the capital, yeah. well, D.C. Basically, we lost those two. <laughs> and along the Niagara River, we went across. We had they had several battles there, and one of the issues they had was. They could take regulars, the regular army across, but all the state's militia mm-hmm. decided that, no, you know, we're only here to fight defensive battles. We're not allowed to fight outside the United States. And so that was a big, they found that out oh. at the river, the Niagara River, when, you know, they were ordered across the river. And he said, no, no, we don't have to go because we're militia. We don't fight outside the United States. Only, you can only take volunteers across. And like 80% of the soldiers didn't volunteer to go across the river. <laughs> That was one of the wow, issues they had wow. with the Niagara campaign. So, I mean, that besides that, oh. and poor generalship and, you know. Uh-huh. And so basically, the War of 1812 in the Detroit area, it wasn't didn't go very good until Oliver Hazard Perry beat the British in, you know, Lake Erie. And then we managed to come, you know, with General Harrison, managed to follow up and chase the British out. The Niagara front, basically nothing happened there. We didn't win. We didn't lose. So that stayed the same. Uh-huh. Um, but we did burn the um, capital of Canada, York, which meant that when the British came in 1814, they burnt our capital. Oh, okay. So they marched down into D.C. and burned that it. That was, again, when they burned the White House. So what was the significance? The Battle of New Orleans was kind of... The Battle of New Orleans happened in 1815. And what happened was in, eight, in the middle of 1814, Napoleon, well, actually in the spring of 1814, Napoleon, who the British have been fighting since 1794 for about 20 years, finally mm-hmm. abdicated, which meant the war in Europe was over. The Americans or the British decided that, you know, they were pretty heavily in debt. And they didn't need to fight right. anymore. And they started trying to negotiate the American war to, you know, get a peace treaty. And finally they did on Christmas okay. Eve, you know, 1814. But I'm sorry, word didn't get to New Orleans before then, so that battle. For about, yeah, but it takes about, what, four weeks uh-huh. or so to get across the Atlantic. Well, and the Battle of New Orleans was what, on uh, January 8th, uh-huh. and so they, they, they didn't get it until about a week later, so they didn't actually have to fight that battle, but they did, and a lot those were a lot of the European regulars that in the British Army, the ones who had experienced fighting Napoleon that went there, and the British figured what they were going to, you know, capture New Orleans and march up the Mississippi. And, right. But, you know, that was Andy Jackson's, and they got some songs about him in movies and mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. about in New Orleans where they took care of about 5,000 British soldiers yep. and stopped them. Yep. And that was called after the war. So, wow. So the war lasted until it was officially two years, but it was about two and a half years because it started in June. Yeah, June of, you know, 1812 and ended in about January. Well, actually, ratified by the Senate in February of uh-huh. 1815. Interesting. So about two and a half years. And 
And it really, you know, there is a seesaw, the, you know, the British won some things, the American won some things, but at the end of the war, the only losers were the, the Native Americans or indigenous people because they were kicked out of the Ontario, well, they weren't kicked out of Ontario, but they were kicked out of Michigan, Ohio, mm -hmm. Indiana, and they were sent further west. Right. So they were the big losers of the war. Everybody wow. asked, the United States borders didn't change. Canada's border, they became, you know, didn't change, but Canada became a separate country, and the United States had no more territorial, you know, ambition to take over Canada. And say so the only ones that lost were the, the Indians or Native people who then were forced out and hmm. sent west. So after the war ended, there's a lot of, I've come across a lot of records when I've studied like land ownership or people that were settled in the, like in my area around Battle Creek. And there were several that got land grants from the government. Some of them were granted land because of their participation in the war of 1812 as a part of their payment. Right. They did the same thing during, for the revolutionary war mm -hmm. and what was part of their um, motivation to keep the soldiers from deserting. Uh -huh. And so they said, you know, if you get an honorable discharge, you'll get so much, you know, acreage. Usually it was like 100 acres for a private up to like about 1,000 for a general. Wow. So in, in between you got various, and those are public lands. And so what it was, what it was, was when you were ready, well, you or your hair, because if you were, you know, died during a war, you know, someone else could claim your, um, one of your relatives could claim your uh, inheritance and you could go out and stake a claim in one of the public lands area which was mostly everything was open uh -huh. and so they gave after the war uh, revolutionary war they gave it to them in ohio along with the war of 1812 was and because in 1816 this is back to the toledo war they did a survey of michigan and the governor the former governor of ohio was part of the committee that wrote the report and uh -huh. said that you know michigan was basically swampland pestilence this you know wasn't a very good place to be uh -huh. and so the government decided to give land grants to in ohio then and it wasn't until they opened the um, erie canal in 1825 when michigan started to get settled and they realized that you know no michigan isn't it's just all swamplands and mosquitoes right. and frozen tundra right so that's yeah you know, that was, and so that that was when they started issuing land grants to the various veterans. And I know at our museum, we um, we I believe we have some certificates or there's some of the deeds from people that were you know granted things in Grass Lake area in Jackson County because that started right say in 1829. Uh -huh. So that's when they started granting deeds. So what happened was they set a land grant office up in Detroit. You could go out to your wherever it was. If you got like 100 acres, you go out and mark your acres and you had to go back to Detroit land office and, you know, give them your permission slip from the government that says, you know, you get so many acres and register right. with the deeds there. And that way you're, that was your land. And some of those people, you know, were there for, I mean, their families are still there in that area, uh -huh. farmland and stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of, quite interesting. A lot of the, well, the lower counties were surveyed. And uh, they were organized around 1831. Like that's from, I think, Jackson, Hillsdale, as all the way over to Berrien County, were mm -hmm. all organized at the same time with the surveys. And that's kind of when there's a big land rush. And I, I saw there's a lot of, a lot of more 18, more of 1812 vets 
that came and settled in the areas and got land. It's in the land office. I think they also established a land office on this side over in White Pigeon. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first one I know they, it was in Detroit. Well, the first one was Detroit. Yeah. And then once things started growing, then they could have, you know, they moved it out to other places because they needed a thing in each county. It was in Monroe for a while, too. I think. Yeah. The, yeah. So as that's it, interesting. As it started to get popular, then he started moving them out so they'd actually have each county would have their own office. So you wouldn't have to, yeah. you know, go all the way. But when it first started, it was only, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> only there was only like 5,000 people in Michigan. So you yeah. didn't need a lot of, you know, government buildings. Wow. Do you know much about the pension programs that came after that? There was some for the widow's pensions and things like yeah, that? There was, and then they continued those on, like even in the Civil War. So if you were a widower, you know, mm-hmm. you're a widow, you could claim, you know, your land. And they also got uh, money for that. Also, some of the soldiers got uh, pensions, too. If they were disabled or after so many years, they'd get a pension, okay. which would, I mean, it wasn't a lot, but it was enough to keep some of them alive for a number of years. And that was. Yeah, I noticed that they're, they're like $12 a year, $12 a month or something. But, yeah, was, you know, back in that, I, that was a lot of money back then, yes, I guess. Was. So. Yes, it yeah. a lot more than it's now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, at the time, I mean, it was like if you were, you, you know, Back in the time, the soldiers pay like during the Civil War, and it was like a private's pay was like twenty dollars a month, which meant mm-hmm. you could, you know, that was a lot of money for especially hard yeah. cash. So, I mean, twelve dollars, you got twelve dollars a month. That wasn't too bad of a. That was about half pay, and that's what a lot yeah. of you know soldiers got when they got older, or, or if they were disabled, or they they were killed in battle, and their widow got that. Mm-hmm. So what monuments exist in Michigan commemorating the War of 1812? Are there any? I mean, you mentioned the one that's over in the Monroe area. Or right. They got the, the battle of the, they got, it's a national park, the uh, Battle of the River Raisin. And there they've got a number mm-hmm. of uh, monuments to the Kentucky people that were Kentucky soldiers that fought the war. There's also one on Jefferson Avenue in Gibraltar. That's the French town when you got some cannons there at the park. They relocated those back there and fixed it up. And mm-hmm. in downtown Detroit, they've got a statue of uh, General McComb which there's some controversy about because in Michigan at the time, I mean, with the ordinance of 18 or 1787, when they made organized the uh, Northwest Territory, which we're part of, there were slaves, Native American and black slaves, African slaves. And that ordinance outlawed slavery, but it was interpreted that they couldn't bring new slaves in. And General, General McComb at the time had a number of slaves. And when he died, he had left like 26 slaves. And so there's some oh. controversy about his statue of being a slave owner and, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just, so so, still history, also, you know. Yeah, and there's yeah. also a, a monument up at the Fort Michelin-Mackinac, um, you know, up in the Upper mm-hmm. Peninsula or, you know, in the river there, or the Straits, I guess, in Mackinac. Yeah. So, but there isn't, there, so what, isn't, there isn't much else, you know, going on. It's just, you know, Sault Ste. Right. Marie had uh, people, you know, Fort Mackinac, and then Detroit, uh-huh. and that was basically it for Michigan. Wow. So what artifacts do you have on display at the Michigan's Military Heritage Museum? Well, we have an original sword from the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. We have an Indian tomahawk, and we have a, one of the horn uh, powder horns. Oh. Oh. And those are the only original oh. artifacts we have right now. We're working on get, trying to get it. We do have some 
Indian arrowheads and stuff, but they're from a little bit mm -hmm. earlier period. Interesting. And we're working on right now the say the American 250. So we're working on our colonial uh, British, French Marines, and the Native American mm -hmm. thing. And we'll be working on the because um, the 1812 stuff too eventually, but that'll come after this after probably the uh, next couple okay. of years build up that a little bit more. So how can people find out about the museum and take a tour? And We have, well, our, you can go to our website, which is mimhm at, um, at dot .org, dot org. So it's www.mimhm.org. Mm -hmm. You can go see our website. We've got a phone number you can call on Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 till 5, which is 517 and we're located in Jackson by Wisner and Wildwood. It's, the address is 311 North Wisner, Jackson, Michigan, 49202. Right. And what are the hours again? We're open Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 until 5 p.m. And on November 12th, the day after Veterans Day, we're doing a special veterans event. Uh, we're celebrating the basically the father of Veterans Day, Eugene Van Antwerp. Okay. He was from a city of Detroit and he and him with along with California representative um, Gerhardt were responsible for making Veterans Day a national holiday so we've got some artifacts we're putting them on display we've got a mannequin of uh, Eugene Van Antwerp and some of the family members are going to be stopping by so if you're a veteran Saturday mm -hmm. November 12th at 1 p.m. we're having a small ceremony about a half hour long you know please stop by great well, definitely so, people need to put that on the calendar and check it yes. out. Well, thanks for coming on today, uh, Dennis. No, no it's been problem. great talking to you. It's been a lot of fun to hear about this. I learned a lot about uh, – it kind of cleared up a lot of the mystery I had with the timeline on the War of 1812. Now it kind of makes more sense to me. that It seemed like almost as if when you look back at it, it was a war that really nobody wanted to fight, but – you know, they, yeah. and you know, they, we weren't we weren't ready for it. We went yeah. and fought it sort of, you know, half heartedly. Yeah, we weren't really prepared. And, you know, I mean, there was a couple battles where some people were motivated. Mm -hmm. And that sort of like to say the Battle of Lake Erie was the big thing. They control of the Great Lakes. And then, you know, the British yeah. fell back and their Native Americans left with them. And that was yeah. it. If we didn't if we didn't win that battle, they, yeah. we might well, be because, you know, we were in part of Canada, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, I've been speaking with Dennis Kupinski, and he's from Michigan's Military Heritage Museum over in Jackson. And I will put the link to their website in the description of the podcast episode so you can check it out and plan a trip to take a tour of the museum and learn a lot more about Michigan's military heritage. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another chapter of Southwest Michigan's past. Thanks for listening. <laughs>